Hello, everyone, and welcome to another season. This is season two of What's the Word with Willette. We are starting off with an episode um, talking about uh, this virtual school deal. And on top of virtual school, uh, children with special needs. So we are just excited to, to be here. I'm excited to be here. I have my good, good friend, Dr. Jackson. Are you? So glad to have you, sis. This has been a long time coming. I mean, we've been talking about this for a minute. So I am so glad to have you on the show. So welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for your platform and all that you do to inform all of us on the various topics on what's up. The world with I'm thankful that um, you've asked me to be a part of this. I am. I'm really honored. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. How much about myself? Um, How much you want to tell? There you go. So I am a, a wife. I'm a mom of three, three daughters and um, two fur babies who I consider equally my children. Mm-hmm. Um, I am have been in education or the world of special education. This is now my 21st year. Wow. So I've been doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It is my life's passion. Um, I, my husband and I have the privilege of raising a child with a disability, our youngest daughter. Um, and I have a love to serve and um, empowering parents to be the very best in whatever situation that we find ourselves in as it relates to educating our children and all of those wonderful things. Um, I have a love for chunky jewelry. So that's my guilty pleasure. Okay, okay. <laughs> I see you be wearing this and it looks good too. It looks good. Yes, looks I good. appreciate you. Looks um, good. And so I've uh, just been doing that work and just uh, focusing on supporting families of children with disabilities. So let's dig right there. Tell us about Reagan's Voice. Tell us, tell the good people about it. What is it all about? Sure. So Reagan's Voice is a nonprofit organization that we established over four years ago uh, for our daughter Reagan, who had who was a child with a disability, and at the time it was such an arduous process for us to fight and advocate for her as parents and having had the privilege of sitting on the other side of the seat or sure. the table, if you will, uh, I saw the the disproportionate mm. um, input that parents had as it relates to supporting their children with disability. And I was a specialist and I felt it. So my thought process was, if I'm going through this and I have all of this knowledge, what does it feel like for a parent? That mm. mm-hmm. So we started uh, Reagan's Voice Um, to support her. She was actually my very first client. Um, I saw that she wasn't getting the necessary things that she needed through the school system. So I began to advocate on her behalf. And based on that, um, Reagan's voice was birthed. Our kind of mantra for our organization is one voice closer to educational change. And so the goal or the thought behind that is every parent, every child has a voice. What gets things done is your opportunity to speak and voice that, and no one has the right to silence it. Mm. I feel like when children aren't given the educational equality they deserve, it's almost as if someone is silencing their voice, as if they do not have a right to be here, and they do. 
And so our, our theme behind that, our push for that is to ensure that every family, every child has a voice. And we do that one family at a time. That is awesome. I, I actually feel like this is a ministry. I mean, because you really, you know, and, and people I'm speaking from the experience of having used Dr. Jackson. Uh, we had a really big meeting at my daughter's school um, and, it, and it was pretty serious deal. And we were, you know, I, I know how to pray. I do. I was like, you know, Lord, be with us. But I still had a certain level of heightened. I don't even like to call it anxiety because I just I was just like pumped up. And I remember you just brought me and my husband together and we prayed and we went in and God did his thing. And there were some things that happened in that meeting that the Lord, <laughs> he took care of, but it just was like, I, I was just so thankful that you were there to help us. So, and, and, and actually, and it made me think after that meeting, like just speaking to the point that you said, like these disparities, like, are they with different groups? Sure. You understand okay. what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Um, Because I feel like, and and I'm saying this because of what I've seen in my time in education, I I see sometimes we bend over backwards, you know, for, for some people and then others, you almost count on them not knowing. And I'm not even talking about race. I'm really talking about SES. You know what I mean? Because if you're at the country club with so-and-so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think that, Ethnicity plays a part, but then the so- social economics mm-hmm. right, also play another major role. The mm-hmm. more you have, the more you have access to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to your point, I feel like, unfortunately, we do live in this world where if I don't, if I believe, so you, you hope and, and, and you go in as a parent believing that I am trusting that the school will do with the very best for my child. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you're not always in a position where someone will say, you know, let me do what's best because even if the parent doesn't know, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. the child deserves it and, and, you know, they, they need that. However, that doesn't always occur. So therefore parents like many of us just feel very left alone because this is such a um, difficult thing for parents to grapple with. Right. Um, and I think only because society has deemed what our norms are. Mm -hmm. So when our children don't fit in this, in the norm, quote norm, whatever that may mean, then we as parents then have to figure out how do we normalize our normal, right? And how, how are we okay with our child's diagnosis? And how do we advocate on top of dealing with all of the emotional things that are attached? Because despite what we may say out outwardly, there is still a portion of you that always questions what happened or what could I have done different or better, or, you know, we go through all of those things. So I think that, you know, that's another component that we don't, that we kind of put to the back burner because we're so focused and some parents do the actual opposite. Like they're so hyper-focused on what the stigma brings right and what it we're going to get into that a little later yeah okay perfect so yeah i don't want to jump ahead go ahead (laughs) (laughs) no i'm actually kind of it's 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 so amazing you know when the conversation is just the conversation is so organic because it's just kind of like just birthing into kind of like the next uh thought that i have for the next question um you know but i do want to say it 
it's also, and I believe you may have already spoken to this, is that much more interesting as a parent who is in education. Because I went to school for this. I got my, I got a certification in this. But now that I'm in it with my childhood, I'm like, wait, what, 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 what are we doing? Like, it's like, you know, nothing. It's like, it goes so over your head because yeah. you're right here just wanting yeah. the best for your child. So again, I applaud you for being able to step away from that because you do have a child and have dealt with it from that side of the parent as an educator and were able to mesh the two, which I feel like is very hard for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I think that that's um, a pretty amazing characteristic because clearly I, I couldn't do that's why I had to call you. I said, I, I'm having oh, trouble here. <laughs> Yeah. So th- this next question, I feel like is obvious, but I definitely would want to hear your perspective on it. Uh, do you believe there's a difference in the needs of general uh, or what is deemed as gen ed students versus a student with special needs? And then why? So so I guess there, that's like a two part. Yes, I can give. OK, mm-hmm. so one, I believe that all students deserve equality mm-hmm. um, and all students deserve equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Everything that is equal or equitable isn't always fair. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's where accommodations and things like that come in. So what I believe is that all students deserve um, quality education. Mm-hmm. What I feel that often happens is that there's a huge disparity between what good teaching is and then what, you know, what needs are happening. So I do believe that there is good teaching that needs to take place because the, the, the um, the connection between good teaching, good instructional practices helps to really refine students with disabilities and what their needs are based upon strong data that supports this teacher was just a great teacher. Mm-hmm. If you had that scenario and a child is still struggling, I do believe that students, you know, I think the misconception is students with a disability means you can't learn. Mm-hmm. It's so untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, so a thought behind that question for me is, yes, all students deserve things equally, but what equality or what um, looks fair to one may not look for the next. So mm-hmm. I do think that if a student requires um, specialized instruction in mm-hmm. order to access everything that their non-disabled peers do, mm-hmm. it's the obligation of those who educate them to ensure that that happens. I don't mean watering things down. Sure. Don't mean giving them less, you know, something. I mean providing quality intervention instruction so that students can access as their non-disabled peers do. So that uh, that actually leads into um, my next question because I was like, when many people think of special needs children, they think this term is crippling. I.e., you know, you don't want to label them special needs, or you know, they look at it like as a negative connotation. Like, what do you say to that? What do you? Why do you believe this is still the case with so many families in 2020? Because I still think that there is this negative stigma, mm-hmm. right? So when people hear the word special needs it has evolved right since IDEA and what we looked at as the original form of what special education was but I believe that it's because in some spaces it's still not accepted Uh right and we and when you don't have resources you fear what you don't understand sure so I think that for many um, when they think about the word special education, parents automatically think, I don't want my child labeled. Mm-hmm. But I always say to parents, I liken it into a medical condition. Mm-hmm. If your child had asthma, 
would you not inform everyone that came in contact with your child? So for example, your child's teacher, listen, when you guys go outside to play, my son or daughter has asthma, you have to keep an eye on it because if something happens and they have an asthma attack, I need the people that surround my child to know exactly what to do. Well, it's no different in education. Mm-hmm. They still need an inhaler. Sure. Right? And everybody that's surrounding them has to understand and know the need so that when something goes awry, you know how to address it. And so I think that if we, as a community, change the thinking mm-hmm. of how we perceive special education, I think it wouldn't be as much of a stigma as the medical, because when you think of a medical condition, you have no problems with saying they have diabetes, they have asthma, you know, they have, you know, whatever the condition is, and we're very open to that. But when it comes to educationally having a diagnosis, it's shunned upon for a lot of families. And it's just hard because I think, again, it's the resources. When I think that things have changed too over the years, because even when I was started, when, when I started teaching is what I was trying to get out um, back in what, oh, um, two, sure. it did look different, right? Because sure. there were, you know, the, the small classes, which we, I believe we still have now today, yeah. but yeah. it was, you know, you're teaching ABCs and one, two, threes pretty much, you know, like this basic stuff, you know, and I just think it's so much different now. And I think people have hung on to those types of stigmas and that's what they're thinking. And and I'm glad you said that because it's not, it's not watered down. They're not, you know, having access to the curriculum. It's just figuring out what accommodations are needed to help them get through that curriculum, you know? So that kind of leads me to my next question. So really when you hear, um, a special needs child, just that term, what does that mean to you in essence when you hear that? So when I think about that, I think of a child that has the capability to learn at the capacity. What I do see is a child that will need resources in order for them to be their full potential selves. And what I see is that it's an opportunity for everyone that touches this child to engage them um, completely. Because I think that when we think about engagement, um, when we think of a child with a disability, we only talk about the academic component, which is still so much more to that child. They have a personality, they have feelings. Sometimes I think that um, the mindset is we isolate those other parts of them and we don't see them as full child. We're just so focused on, you know, we become very hypervigilant to their, their deficit and we never look at all the potential and the things that they have. So when I see it, I see a child that's extremely gifted in something. And my mantra is in, inside of every struggling student lives a successful one. There, mm-hmm. there is one that is there. So it's our job to kind of help cultivate that and foster it. So when I think of a child with a disability, I think of a child that has the potential to be and to do anything that they, they, they set their minds to. It's the adults that surround them to give them the opportunity to access it. I love it. I love it. So it, it, I love how this is going because it rolls right into my next my next question. What do parents do if they suspect their child has a special need? Where do they start? So I always share like so. This is a Doctor Jacksonism. So I feel like <laughs> I love it. I always share with parents that most times, you know, if it is, and I always say this, this is not to be biased in any way, but I always feel like sometimes moms have this innate something like, I just don't know if it's quite right. Sometimes, you know, dads do too. I'm saying equals. One parent may come and say something just isn't right. I always tell parents to trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Feel that there is something not right. 
then it probably isn't right. Mm -hmm. What I would share with parents is that, you know, you can always start at your child's school. Mm -hmm. So that is reaching out to your child's teacher um, and then moving from there to getting your administration involved and saying, hey, I have some concerns about my child, A, B, and C. I would like to hold a meeting so that we can discuss testing. Um, Always tell parents that, you know, never be afraid to go to the school and ask for those things. Testing either confirms or denies what you're thinking, and you will never, ever know. And you will continue to play this guessing game because you don't have definitive data. And so I always share with parents without having a full understanding of the bigger picture, it's like throwing darts without a target Mm -hmm. over the place. And you never quite hit it. It's never a bullseye, right? And so the goal is for us to identify exactly what it is so that you as parents can then support the needs of your child. But without that, um, it's just, it, it's very difficult to do. So with that, um, and that's and that's what we did. This is personal for me. So that's, we did that as well. But we also worked in tandem with the pediatrician. So like, what is your take on that? Like letting, you know, kind of bringing it to the pediatrician's attention as well, because I actually felt like it was pretty fruitful bringing it to her attention because uh, then we went to uh, UVA and that has been a great experience for us going there. Um, So it's kind of like a two part question because another piece of that is what do you, what is your take on uh, when people want to kind of give kids medication for certain things? To go back to what you said, Mm -hmm. I definitely would think it just depends on the age of the child. So if you, you know, have a younger child and you're seeing some things definitely bring it to the attention of the pediatrician. The pediatrician will always look at it from the medical standpoint. Sure. Coupled with the academic can definitely Mm -hmm. help to shed light. If the child is typically older, I would still bring it to them. But let's say you have a third grader and you notice that they're still not reading and this is an academic function. Mm -hmm. Definitely saying to the pediatrician, I have some suspicions of maybe ADHD or things like that. Then I think that in tandem, I think that you should work with your provider depending on the age of the child, always used to still let your, you know, your physician know. Um, So I think that that's there. Um, My take on medication. So um, I I always think about that it's twofold for me. So this is just, again, a Dr. Jacksonism. This is my personal belief. So I do believe that psychotropic medication can be very useful to children um, if, if, if you have tried all avenues before getting there. So I am not one that says, you know, I don't believe in medication. No child needs to be medicated. There are some things that are chemically imbalanced. There are some other things that allow them to have access and resources. And without the support of that, um, I think that, you know, it is very important though for parents to identify so that the medication does not make your child so far away from who the child is that, that you're no longer benefiting. But then also at a space where if children needed to help them focus and they needed to help them, you know, uh, engage in their full program. For me, personal, uh, Reagan, um, as I didn't get to share earlier, but she is a child with ADHD. So I saw it very early, uh, very early. And um, we decided not to do medication initially. So Mm -hmm. we sent her to a naturopathic doctor, Mm -hmm. um, which gave her some, you know, wonderful herbs and things that she used and changed her diet and the sleeping and those things began to work. And so we did not have to go that route. However, I do have some clients who children are taking psychotropic medications 
and it works for them. And then mm -hmm. I have some families who have tried it and said, not for us. Mm -hmm. So I think that it really is looking at the individual child, looking at their full the makeup, profile, mm -hmm. and then identifying, have we tried all of these things prior to this? Sure. And I think that helps you. And I also think that, you know, a lot of parents are not for it because you know, they don't want their child to feel like an experiment. Sure. Right. You have to get the medication right. You have to get the doses just right. And so you just calibrating it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think that understanding the full picture of the child before just going straight there gives parents opportunity and options. And I think when people feel like they have options, they're they're able to better make decisions because it's not medication or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's here are all of the options that we tried. This is where we belong, where we feel like we can land here because this is what you know what we feel like is needed for our child. Okay, awesome. So during this time of COVID nineteen and mm -hmm. being in this virtual phase, um, do services look different for children during this virtual learning phase? Yes, <laughs> I wish I had a different answer, but yes. Um, so. I think that, you know, no one expected, right? COVID-19 sure, sure. happened. We've grown into this. So I think that there are a lot of implications. I feel like, unfortunately, school systems, no fault of their own, are flying the plane while they're building it. Oh, my right? God. So yeah. there are a lot of things happening. And I think that distance, this distant learning model um, is of course the safest because you know that's paramount before anything else. But I do believe that there are a lot of um, there 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 can be a lot of harmful implications in terms of students' academic progress over time because they're not getting the same level of instruction they would get right in brick and mortar school. Mm -hmm. So I think that where it's no fault of the school system because everybody is just doing their very best. I think that you know, everyone as a team has to come together to identify, you know, what it is. And I, I feel like if if school systems would say, we're going to intentionally track the student's progress to see if there is regression, parents are, to me, more likely to be receptive if you come very front forward and honest. Like we, we're trying our very best. We're going to continue to monitor. If we see regression, mm -hmm. we're going to say that that's what we see. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to create a plan in order to help um, bridge those gaps mm -hmm. when we return to brick and mortar. Or, you know, these are the different interventions that we can do in place of that. So I think that if school systems take that approach, um, I think that parents would feel much better um, and feel a little more comfortable because, unfortunately, this was just thrown at us. I My mean, God. It happened. Literally, students were in school March the 12th, March 13th. No more. There was no more school. And it was no time to prepare. So I think about my children who do have disabilities who require, you know, some type of forewarning that things are happening or they're very routine. And now they abruptly their life changed and parents weren't prepared. Schools weren't prepared. You know, you, you think about the social and emotional component. Mm, that COVID huge. Has it's huge. huge. Right. Even for parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're now all things in one space, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your mom, your dad, your cook, your, you know, your therapist, your principal, your disciplinary, your counselor, you know, you, your chef, you're all of these things in one area and 
you're someone's employee on top of mercy, all of that. mercy, mercy. And you're trying to figure out how to mm. leave when you were working, you got in the car, took, you know, to drop the kids off where they needed to go. You got to be employee in this space, get back in the car, transition to mom or dad, and then go. Now it's like, no, you're all of these things in one in one space. And so I think everybody feels it. Children and parents alike. Yes, ma'am. And uh, that you said that so succinctly because I'm like, am I the cafeteria later? Or am I, what am I? What am yes. I? You all things. What what is happening here? Solver, referee. Yes, I was recess monitor, lunch (laughs) monitor. Um, Oh my goodness, we're looking into a swing set now because of this. (laughs) Yes, something out here. Exactly, exactly. They can't go to the park, so we need something. (laughs) Mercy. Exactly, I'm right with you. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So what what are some other services parents can utilize for other concerns, not necessarily academic, but like the emotional support that you spoke about earlier or say like my daughter, you know, who had some speech concerns, still does um, fine motor, gross motor, those kind of things. Sure. So are we talking parents and student? Um, if you have them for both. Yes. Give it to us. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely think that um, for parents, I want to start there because I feel like it's almost like that plain scenario. You you don't put the mask on the child first. You put mm-hmm. it on yourself first so that you can help the, the child. Mm-hmm. So I think for parents, getting yourselves completely acclimated thrust mm-hmm. into what your child's disability is helps you to connect to resources. Also, never work in a silo, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Figure out those surrounding you that have the same types of concerns, mm-hmm. you all find a common ground and you push through that. Mm-hmm. I always share with parents that if you're going into an IEP meeting and it feels unsettled, call someone, mm-hmm. right? Bring reinforcement so that you don't feel so um, distant. Also for parents who are seeking, like you spoke about with your daughter, with speech and language, getting in a community that supports that efforts and those work and and finding additional resources for her to do outside of the school setting to build those skills. Also joining organizations that specifically speak to what your need is. For example, um, Reagan is a child with ADHD, as I spoke about. So we are members of CHAD, Children and Adults with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a wonderful, it's, it's, we do pay, um, once a year, uh, but it's a wonderful site. It gives so many resources and information that I can like glean to as a parent of a child with, who has ADHD so that I can better understand. And so I always share with parents, tap into your resources in the community and abroad. So think about the larger picture. So when you're dealing with a specific, you know, disability, just researching what opportunities are there so that you can get into a community. And there, there is power in community. Mm-hmm. There are things that you may not know exist, but mm-hmm. your neighbor who's been doing it for five years could say, hey, well, mm-hmm. I have a really great, great resource. You know, you may want to have your daughter check this out. And so I think that just learning to work in that community really opens up the opportunity for your child to receive way more. I, I agree. And and actually, um, uh, my sister friend, who I'm also going to um, interview, dealing with just having a child with special needs um, who's not necessarily an educator, because sometimes, you know, like yeah. we're speaking to, you know, that can be a little difficult just to kind of navigate and kind of figure out if you don't know someone 
um, connected to education or anything like that, you know, or sometimes you may know and you just kind of want to still try to figure it out yourself. Um, But there have been some pretty amazing uh, community resources in the county that I actually work in. Um, And and not saying they're not out here where I, where I live, I was just uh, more connected with it. But, and I feel like somehow by default, I got this email about uh, different workshops that they have for parents, like, you know, with a child with ADHD, we're talking to an occupational therapist about how to build those fine and gross motor skills for um, a child, um, social and emotional behaviors. What is, you know, what does that look like? What are some, you know, kinesthetic tactile type activities to try to get the, you know what I mean? So just those different type of resources so I'm very thankful for those my hope is that they have uh, that type of organization it's called the ARC the ARC of Prince William County so my I hope is that they okay so it's probably you know maybe yeah. a national deal um, yeah. and I'm sure and I'm sure they have one out here where we live I just haven't really looked it up like I said because you know just being at work a lot of times the workshops are right there so I because That's of where true. I work so sure. I, I always connect with that um that chapter out there as opposed to here at home so dr jackson we have about three or four more questions but i want to take a quick break because i like to keep my episodes at 30 minutes okay and so i told one of my friends i was like even if the questions are 10 or 12 minutes we are still going to take a break i feel like after 30 minutes people start getting charlie brown on me (laughs) so what's the word family we are going to take a quick break but we will be right back (laughs) 